It's the Saint Victory Podcast. I'm Josh Saint Marie, providing the Saint and the Re to the name Saint Victory. With me, the core piece to both the podcast and its name, it's Victor. Victor, how was your Thanksgiving? It was very good. Um, went over to a friend's house. You know, I didn't eat that much compared to other years. Uh, we were watching, you know, the TV show, the Netflix show Arcane. I have actually never heard of that show. Oh, it's it's a Netflix. show show based off of league of legend lore <laughs> i didn't think i was going to be into it but it was actually pretty good did you successfully avoid dry turkey no no i did have some dry turkey that is unfortunate but it, did you get to have some of that potatoes uh, you were looking forward to not much potatoes um a lot of rice i had a lot of chicken too but um not not much potato going on Okay. I was with my wife's family and they actually didn't bring out the turkey to 10 p.m. So by that point, I had a pretty oh. legitimate excuse to avoid it. So I actually had no turkey. <laughs> it, was, it was too late to eat. That's that's what I went with. So oh, I wow. my, no turkey. filled my belly up on the other good stuff, you know, dessert. We had dessert prior to the turkey. <laughs> <laughs> you bring that out before the turkey, there's definitely going to be no room for turkey. Today, we're going to do something a little different because I don't know if you've been paying attention, but the MLB has been absolutely hectic. And there were people on Twitter saying the MLB was stealing a little bit of the NFL's thunder. And I think that's absolutely true. I think, though, even if the World Series were happening, I'm not sure the MLB would completely be able to steal the NFL's thunder. But the way we're going to do it today is normally we start with baseball just because it's the offseason and football games are happening the day before we're recording on Sunday. So we have a lot more to talk about with football but i think for once the opposite is true so we're going to start with the nfl today and we have a few things planned for you today three main things we're going to do a mock nfl playoff so we're going to look at how the standings are today and just kind of talk through what we think would happen if the playoffs were to start today then we're going to do our eliminator game which we have been doing every week uh to some success i would say there's one team that is becoming quite the problem for us. And I've almost just completely said, okay, they're making it and we screwed up on them, but more on that when we get to the game. And then finally for baseball, we're going to go through 13 teams and the moves they made and give each team a grade. So it should be a fun episode, but before all that with football, Victor, I have to mention the Patriots, at least what's on paper. When you look at the score, absolute drumming of the Tennessee Titans, were you able to watch the game? Victor, of course, a Titans fan. I'm a Patriots fan. Yeah, so I was able to catch most of the game. Um, there were points where I really just just didn't, like, I, I wouldn't say stopped caring, but it just felt so futile to watch. The fumbles were brutal. Tannehill had no playmakers. The offense was very dull. There wasn't great tackling on the defensive end. So I think it was about what I expected uh, in a game with no Derrick Henry, no AJ Brown, no Julio Jones. So um, yeah, the Patriots are a very good team. They're a very good football team. And honestly, the game was so much closer than the final score indicated. There were moments even into the third quarter where I was convinced the Patriots were going to blow this game. They left what felt like quite a bit of points on the table. I felt like if you split up the plays, the Patriots ran outside of the red zone and then the plays they ran, in or near the red zone, it would look like an entirely different offense. I thought the play calling when we got to the red zone was way too conservative. I was convinced it was going to cost us the game, but I'm the, I'm the 
turnover luck guy. So I have to, I, I have to say the Patriots benefited from quite a bit of turnover luck. There were two massive fumbles that the Patriots happened to fall on top of both of, and it's hard to win a game when you don't have the turnover luck going your way. So I think the game was a lot closer than it looked, which kind of scares me because as you mentioned, the Titans offense was basically Tannehill and all the backups, at least from a skill position standpoint, you had two running backs run over a hundred yards against our defense. We clearly were trying to stop Tannehill and didn't care much about the run, but still you have to wonder, would Henry have run for 300 yards had he played? So I thought, he I thought overall fumbled. I actually left with more concerns about the Patriots than I went in. But a win against a team that's pretty good, even with the injuries. I'm very excited about the Patriots this season. They're starting to climb up very close to that top seed. Yeah, they're getting close. Um, if the Ravens had lost yesterday, would they? Would the Patriots have had the tiebreaker for number one? Or I don't actually know, but you have to think so. And I and honestly, you also I think you would have to say the Patriots might in fact be the favorite to finish with that top seed. They just have been so dominant lately. I know heading into that game, they were winning by an average margin of 35 to 10. And then they win that game 36 to 13. So it's basically just more of the same. And the Titans are obviously a, a step up from some of the opponents the Patriots been playing. Next up for the Patriots is the Bills. And I think the Bills looked better this week. I think it's safe to say that the Bills were caught with their heads and their butts a little bit when it came to the Colts. They were planning for both the Colts game and then the short turnaround for the Thanksgiving game. They looked much better against the Saints. So I think it will be another strong test for the Patriots. And then after that, it's Colts. And then I believe bye week and then Bills again. So Bills twice in the next four weeks, that's going to decide the division and very well could decide that one seed. I'm assuming the Ravens are at least going to lose a couple more times based on the way they've looked. The Ravens' schedule is very brutal as well to close out the season. Is it mostly division opponents, or do they just have a tough schedule all around? Uh, four division opponents, and then they have the Rams and the Packers out of division. Wow, that is brutal. Because even like even in years when their division isn't one of the best in the NFL, and I think this year it is with the. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, it's hard to say they're the best because they don't have a clear elite team or or some divisions have two teams that you could say are elite, but they do seem to have at least three very good teams and one team that may be good in the Steelers. It's so hard to tell week in, week out based on how big Ben's performing. But Mm -hmm. even when that's not the case, when their division is filled with a bunch of crappy teams, that division just seems to play each other extremely closely. Almost all the games feel like the game last night where it was basically unwatchable football, but either team could have won. It was a very disgusting game between the Ravens and the Browns. If you missed it, if you did miss it, congrats. Honestly, you missed a great one. You missed a great one to miss that is. And so (laughs) I think, yeah, that even like, even if you had said, oh, it's all division games and all these teams have like two wins. I would still say the Ravens have a tough schedule moving forward just because of the history of that division, how hard nosed uh, they play each other. But I feel like that's a decent transition. We're talking about the Ravens and the Patriots and who's going to grab the top seed. Let's go ahead and do our mock playoffs. So what I've done is I've gotten each team, what their seed would currently be right now. The Ravens would be the one seed, the Patriots, the two seed. After that in the AFC, it would be the Titans at three, the Chiefs at four, then the Bengals at five, the Bills at six, and the Chargers at seven. In the NFC, we have the Cardinals at one, the Packers, they've got the two seed, the Bucks have the three seed, the Cowboys, the four seed, the Rams, the five, the 49ers, the six, and the Vikings, the seven. So 
The first thing I want to do is I do want to mostly do this based on if the playoffs started today. So I'm a little bit sorry for your Titans. Well, let's say, let's give them a little bit of the health back. Let's say like half of their health is regained. But I don't want to say like by playoffs time, we can say the Titans are completely healthy. But other than that, I think let's, we discussed beforehand and we think it might be appropriate to discuss at least replacing one team in the AFC and the NFC. We don't have to, but I'm giving us the option to say, do we think the Colts are going to make it? Let's replace, I don't know, the Chargers with the Colts if we if we feel like doing that. Is there a team in the AFC that you feel should be in the playoffs and thus we can replace them with one of the teams that currently are in? Honestly, I feel like the fringe teams in the AFC and the Chargers all have similar I, th- I view them all pretty similarly. If you want to make the case for the Colts ahead of the Chargers, I could definitely see it. Colts have been playing much better and much more consistently lately, but I'm not sure I'm uh, too motivated to make that change. Here's what I'll say about the Colts, because just if you look at how good each team is, and so the fringe teams right now would, would probably be the at least the four right now that are looking for that spot. They're the Chargers, the Raiders, the Broncos, so those three divisional teams, and the Colts. And then after that, you have still some more fringe teams in the AFC. That's just how close it is. But the Colts currently right now are sitting in 10th. So on paper, I'm like, well, they're definitely better than those three teams. I think they'll be able to sneak in. So I pulled up their schedule, and they have three matchups, which are complete cupcake matchups. I think they should win. I'm forgetting them off the top of my head. I think one's probably the Texans. Another's probably the Jaguars, just knowing their division. And they have a third one that they should win. However, their other two games are against the Patriots and the Cardinals, which are arguably the best team in the AFC and the best team in the NFC, respectively. So that seems pretty likely that the Colts are going to go three and two. And I think being behind three teams, even if they're better than those three teams, if they go three and two, it's hard to say three and two will be enough to pass three teams. And for that reason, I'm hesitant to throw the Colts in. So I kind of just want to keep it the chargers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right. So we'll just say that seven seed will stay the same. Is there a team in the NFC that's on the outside looking in? I feel like the top six are pretty, pretty set. But that seven spots kind of up in the air, especially after the Vikings have a, I would say, um, a questionable performance against the 49ers. Kirk Cousins, we talked about last week, the stats seem to back up that he can perform outside of one o'clock. But when he gets in those games, he makes boneheaded mistakes like lining up behind his right guard to take the snap and having to lose a timeout in a crucial moment in the game. Do you think the Vikings deserve that seventh spot or is there another team in the NFC you want to replace them with? Um, if, if I were to replace them, I think the Eagles schedule might push them into that last spot, but otherwise I think, I think the NFC South teams, I don't think any of them are really, um, appreciably better than the Vikings and I'm not really buying the Giants, the, the football team, the bears, even like, I don't think, um, they're going to be better than the Vikings down the stretch. Now, Dalvin Cook's injury might might be a difference maker, but I do think Alexander Madison is capable of being a good um, lead running back. So I would probably just keep it as the Vikings, unless you you think the, the Eagles schedule might push them into that last spot. I don't know. I'm hesitant to say the Eagles schedule would do such a thing because the Giants, I would have looked at that game and said, yes, that's a win for the Eagles. 
and mm-hmm. they they have a chance to win in what is a really ugly game. I can't imagine the Eagles playing much worse, but they still found a way to to lose. So I'm okay keeping it the Vikings. Plus that gives us a Packers Vikings rematch divisional matchup. That's a little bit fun. I I don't not that not that Packers Eagles wouldn't be fun, but I say we just keep it the same. Why why mess with things? I'm not sure it's going to make a difference in the bracket anyway. So let's keep it the Vikings and the Chargers. Okay, so let's go through the AFC. So the Ravens, they're the one seed. They get the bye, so they advance automatically, no matter what you think of that team. Next matchup, we've got the two versus the seven. That will be the Patriots versus the Chargers. Now, we've already seen this matchup play out. It was a very close battle. Actually, the only close game the Patriots have had on their win on their long extended winning streak. It will be in Foxborough as Patriots are the high seed. Do you think there's any chance the Chargers win this game? Obviously, there's a chance, but is there any argument to advance the Chargers here against the Patriots? Um, well, the first they played the Patriots earlier this year. The Patriots won. Um, I do think there is a scenario where Justin Herbert um, has a one of his smash games and is really good and is able to carry the Chargers to a victory. But I wouldn't expect that to be the outcome, especially given how inconsistent they are and how the Patriots always find a way to play um, good defense, efficient offense. They don't really have the types of bad games that we've seen from most of the other contenders in the AFC. So I think I would, I would bet on the Patriots, but I think the Chargers would have an opportunity. Yeah, I actually do think it would be a close game. The one aspect of the Chargers that I like a significant amount more than I like in the Patriots game is the Chargers' aggressiveness on fourth down. I wish the Patriots would do that. The Patriots are way too okay with punting and kicking field goals. I keep thinking that will change as the season progresses, as Mac becomes more comfortable in the offense, and as Josh McDaniels is able to trust Mac a little more. But if that doesn't change, I actually do think that in a close game like the playoffs that require sometimes to be aggressive, that benefits the type of aggressiveness the Chargers have shown all season. But with that being said, there is no chance I'm picking the Chargers over the Patriots, not even not even as a Patriots fan, just the Patriots, the way they look right now, they look like they're one of the best teams in the NFL. It's hard for me to say another team looks better right now. The Patriots are are healthy. Their defense creates havoc. Mac Jones rarely makes mistakes. It's I'm they're pretty much a complete team at this point. So I, I feel pretty comfortable advancing the Patriots. Now we've got an interesting matchup. We've got your Tennessee Titans, the three seed versus the sixth seeded Buffalo Bills. Um, I would probably pick the Bills in this matchup just because I think they have a little more high end talent. Best defense in the NFL. Josh Allen could go off on any random day. So I think I would probably pick the Bills if I were forced to, but I think it would be a very good game. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that you went this route. I, I had picked the Bills personally, but it was a, it was one of those where I was looking at it and I went back and forth, back and forth. And I was actually going to defer to you as the Titans fan. I feel like you have better knowledge of what teams your favorite team can be and what teams your favorite team would struggle against. So if you're telling me that the Bills are going to beat the Titans, specifically, we said we're not going to let the we're not going to give the Titans a complete pass for their injuries right now. We're going to say some of those are going to linger, especially with think Derrick Henry. I don't know. When is Derrick Henry supposed to be back? Um, there are rumors that he might be able to get back for the first round of the playoffs. Okay, so that would that'd be a huge difference maker. But if you're telling me the Bills would beat the Titans right now, 
I think we have to advance the Bills. We need an upset in there too. So let's let's throw the Bills in there. They advance. That brings us to the four seed, the Chiefs versus the five seed Bengals. Oh, yeah, I definitely take the Chiefs in this. I think the Chiefs are rounding into form. And I think if you go into a playoff game against Mahomes, there's always an opportunity for him to be a game breaker. So I would pick the Chiefs. I think I don't even know if I agree with you that the Chiefs are rounding into form. I still have big question marks and I still need to see it in a lot of ways, specifically with the Chiefs offense. We talked about the Raiders game when it happened. That felt a lot more like the Raiders collapsing than it felt like the Chiefs really figuring it out. Their game after that, the Chiefs didn't particularly impress me. But you have to go with the experience of the Chiefs over the inexperience of the Bengals here. The Bengals, when they've made it in the past, already have these playoff demons they have to get rid of. But Joe Burrow hasn't been put to the test in a playoff game yet. Patrick Mahomes has been to two Super Bowls already. From that alone, I'm going to side with the Chiefs. So that is the AFC first round. Let's move to the NFC first round. The Cardinals, of course, as the one seed, they're the buy, they get the bye, they advance. Now we have the Packers, the two seed against the seven seeded Vikings. The Packers are undefeated at home this year. And so this game will take place in Lambeau. One of the only fields left that I feel confident saying provides some sort of home field advantage. Are the Vikings able to overcome what both appears to be just a deficit team-wise and being the worst team and the disadvantage of being the away team? I'm not sure. Victor, do you think the Vikings have any chance here to knock off the Packers? I think their only opportunity would be for Kirk Cousins and um, their wide receivers, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, to have the kind of game-breaking performance that they had when they beat the Packers a couple weeks ago. So um, I think they would have an opportunity just since they've shown us that they could beat the Packers. But I think in a playoff game, um, the Packers would be a little more buckled down and I think they would they would come out on top. I have to say, too, because it's something I've been we've been watching closely on this podcast. The Packers defense impressed me a lot against the Rams. That's the game I said that I was going to determine whether I thought the Packers D was legitimate or not. However, I'm not ready to say that they are, although it was a very impressive performance down, arguably their best linebacker. No, definitely their best linebacker and also their best defensive back. So I was impressed by that. I'm starting to believe in the Packers defense and starting to maybe think that Vikings game was a bit of an outlier. I think the Packers are able to get revenge here. I think that home field advantage is going to be huge for the Packers. And also, I just, I don't know, I'm I'm watching the Vikings play yesterday, and Justin Jefferson is visibly frustrated. He, does, he does a horrible job hiding his frustration every time Kirk Cousins makes an errant throw in his direction. And I can see that building into something that could prove to be problematic down the stretch, not too dissimilar to Stephon Diggs' relationship with the Minnesota Vikings. They've got to figure that out. I don't know if, basically what I'm saying is the, the success for the Vikings when they beat the Packers last week had a lot to do with, as you pointed out, Victor, Justin Jefferson's monster game. And if that continues, if Justin Jefferson, or sorry, if Justin Jefferson's frustrations continue, I don't know if that's going to be something that they're just able to be, are going to be able to just switch off and Justin Jefferson be able to deliver and it, what would be a huge game for the Vikings. So Packers, they're the two seed. We have both two seeds advancing now. That brings us 
to the Bucks, who are the three seed versus the six seeded 49ers. The Bucks are another team that has not lost a game at home this year. Can the 49ers hand them a loss here at the Bucks home in the playoffs? Uh, I think you would have to be very bold to uh, go against Tom Brady in the playoffs. I will say Tom Brady's uh, track record in the wild card round isn't um, it's not tremendous like his track record in most other playoff situations. And uh, the, the Niners do look like they're um, turning into the team that we thought they were earlier at the beginning of the year, being able to run the ball, quality defense, Jimmy G not making enough mistakes to take them out of games. But yeah, I would have to go with the Bucks in this scenario. You said it takes a bold man to pick against Tom Brady in the playoffs. And Victor, I consider myself a bold man, but I'm still picking the Bucks. Definitely Bucks over 49ers. That brings us to the four-seeded Cowboys versus the five-seeded Rams. I think this is by far the most interesting first-round matchup in the NFC. I'm actually not even sold right now, so maybe what you say will influence me, similar to the Titans and Bills earlier. Who do you got in this game between the Cowboys and the Rams? Uh, this is a tough one because both teams looked like they might be the best team in the NFL early in the season and have come up. Uh, with offensive struggles in the past few weeks. I think the Cowboys probably get a bit more of a pass since they've been suffering from re- uh, injuries to their receivers. Zeke hasn't been 100%. They've had offensive line injuries. Um, but the Rams also lost Robert Woods. He's not coming back. Uh, they replaced him with Odell Beckham, obviously. I think that I would have to side with the Rams just from – like if I'm just going to have a tiebreaker to be from a coaching standpoint, I think Sean McVay would be better in critical situations. Um, if a playoff game were to come down to the fourth quarter, than Mike McCarthy would be. But otherwise, I think these two teams are pretty, pretty close, pretty similar. Remember how I was saying I struggle with Dak Prescott simply because I haven't seen him do it in a big game. Well, I saw this stat floating around on Twitter that makes me think maybe it's less of a Dak Prescott problem and just a Cowboys problem in general. In the last Mm -hmm. two complete seasons, so the 2019 season for the Cowboys in which Dak was completely healthy and the 2020 season where Dak got injured, the Cowboys did not beat a team that ended up with a winning record. And I, I mean, that screams to me a team that will not show up in the playoffs And I agree with you. I think the coaching advantage definitely goes the Rams way. I think the clock management is something that actually matters in the playoffs. The only coach I've really seen be able to overcome that with consistency is Andy Reid. So I don't know if Mike McCarthy is going to be able to do it for the Cowboys. I'm basically just taking all the points out in favor of the Cowboys right now to make my decision, you know, feel a little better because I'm going to, I'm going to side with you. I'm going to take the Rams. So that'll be the Cardinals, the Packers, the Bucks, and the Rams in the NFC. Now we can move through a little quick quicker here as we just go through the remaining matchups. But in the AFC, we have the Ravens versus the Bills. Who do you've got? The Ravens or the Bills? I know the Bills are the sixth seed, but that roster is still so scary. And the Ravens have been so inconsistent to this point in the season. Obviously, the Bills also have. Uh, but I think. I think I would have to side with the Bills here just because um, I just think they have so much high-end talent at so many important positions, and the, the Ravens just haven't looked like that type of team um, to this point in the season. I want to be the one to 
to stand up for the one seed in the AFC. They have the bye. That always seems to help a team. It gives them the rest they need. They come into that game not only rested, but also with a great game plan as they get to sit from home and watch the Bills tire themselves out against the Titans in what surely will be a physical football game. So I want to I want to sit here with you and and choose the Ravens, but I kind of agree with you. I've just got this feeling, and I know that's not very convincing to say. I've just got this feeling. But I think the Bills are better than people are giving them credit for. I think people saw that Colts game and were horrified. But again, I think that a lot more to do with the fact that the Bills had a game on short rest on Thanksgiving, a primetime game. They know people would be watching. So they were game planning for two different games. I think that hurt them in a large way against the Colts team that needed to win, that brought out all their gadget plays, everything they had, and just steamed over the Bills. And so I think that is making people think the Bills are worse than they are. People forget that the Bills would be in conversation for that top seed in the AFC if it really if it wasn't for the Patriots, and they still might end up that high. They still have two games against the Patriots, so the Bills are better than a six seed, and I think the Ravens are definitely worse than a one seed. They just do not feel that way. So I'm I'm with you here. Let's let's go Bills. That brings us to Patriots Chiefs, and I want to pick the Patriots, Victor. So you're gonna to have to convince me it's the Chiefs. You're gonna to have to convince me that the experience of Mahomes versus the rookie of Mac Jones is gonna make a difference here. Yeah, I think in the playoffs, the the quality and experience of the quarterbacks probably matters way more than in the regular season. So I think I would probably pick the Chiefs just of, just because of the Mahomes, just because uh, the types of games and the types of plays that he can make in crunch time. I mean, we saw when he beat the 49ers in that Super Bowl, he didn't even play well for the first, what, two, three quarters of the game, and they were still able to come out on top. Um, so I think uh, Mac Jones's lack of experience might show up a little bit and Mahomes tremendous um, amount of past success and experience uh, could be the, the deciding factor in this game. Do you think we're allowing the last couple of seasons for the Chiefs to factor into our process of maybe picking the Chiefs over the Patriots here? Because if we just take if we just take this season in a vacuum and you ignore all that, which I know you can't completely do. But if you do that, the Patriots here look like a massive favorite to me. And so the only reason this game really is even up in the air is because of that history with the Chiefs. That's why I, even as a Patriots fan, am so hesitant to pick the Chiefs here, just because I feel like we're giving them more credit than we should. I really have not seen a game from the Chiefs that has impressed me. I do not believe in this turnaround. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I just think we've seen in the past better quarterbacks go and be able to beat better teams in the playoffs um, just the, by the nature of the position. So, I mean, I think it's a fair fair thing to question, but I think once we get into those big games at crunch time, I'm going to be taking Mahomes. I mean, I know the 41-14 win versus the Raiders – is impressive that 19 to nine win against the Cowboys, a team that doesn't beat teams that finish over 500 apparently. <laughs> and they beat, they beat the Packers 13 to seven the week prior without, I don't know, like this, like this is like the fakest four game win streak I've ever seen. It's a three point win over the, the giants. It is Packers without Rogers, six point win, the blowout against a crumbling Raiders team. And then a 10 point victory against the Cowboys in a game that, I mean, they the Cowboys just didn't show up. Is that a testament to the Chiefs' defense? I don't know. I'm really, I'm really struggling here, Victor, picking the Chiefs, but I'll give it to you. 
I, I think picking the Chiefs and or the Bills to make the Super Bowl, which is, I guess, the situation we're in right now, is kind of gross because both these teams aren't necessarily impressive. But I don't know. That's who we have. Chiefs or Bills? Who do you think? Dang, that's a tough one. I mean, before this season, this probably would have been people's AFC championship game favorite. And now it looks like a much worse matchup this far into the season. Um, I think I would probably have to go with the Bills. Um, just, I guess Victor, we, bold, we have I to guess. retroactively pick the Patriots. We can't do this. <laughs> the chiefs and the bills, they, they were the preseason favorite. They both don't look that impressive right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I could be swayed either way. Do you have a strong opinion on this one? No, I don't. I I'm still very, I'm like, I'm very stuck on this, this fake four game win streak the chiefs have. So I think the one, one, I don't even know. Cause the bills that lost was so ugly. Uh, let's go bills let's go bills so bills make it to the super bowl at the afc gross i think that's gross <laughs> I, I should not have let the patriots slip through our fingers okay nfc we're looking at the cardinals versus the rams i believe Ooh, that's a tough one i'm not sure like obviously the cardinals on paper and through their schedule have looked like a very impressive team and the rams have been playing much uh, worse football lately but I still have this nagging feeling in the back of my head that um, the Cardinals just aren't a great team and I think the Cardinals do have another game coming up against the Rams unless I'm mistaken um, I feel like that game would probably go a long ways towards swaying me one way or the other in terms of who I think the better team is but I do think I'd probably just I'd probably have to take the Cardinals just because uh, they've been better so far. They have the home field advantage. They have the buy. Um, it would be a pretty – it's a nice setup for them to be able to win if these two teams are as evenly matched as I kind of think they are. We have to show that we believe something that has happened this year. We're already saying we don't believe the Chiefs are as bad as they look. We definitely don't believe the Bills are as bad as people are saying they are. So I don't think we can also say the Cardinals. We don't believe it. They're not as good as they've looked. I think I, I have to pick the Cardinals. I'm not letting a good team slip through. So we're looking for another ugly matchup. We're pick, we're picking the Cardinals there. They have, we went through the bad losses of every team of all these top teams last week together. And the Cardinals were the only team that didn't have a bad loss. Their worst loss was literally a game without their star quarterback. We're picking the Cardinals End of discussion. Packers or Bucks. This is more of a discussion. Now, again, I will say I mentioned earlier that both these teams are one team at home and another away. They're both five and zero at home, while the Packers are four and three away, and the Buccaneers are three and three away. So, I just off of that alone want to give the Packers the edge, as they would be the home team here as the higher seed. They're the two seed. The Bucks are the three seed. Victor, do you disagree with picking the Packers here? No, not not really. I think um, I think that makes sense given the Packers do have the home field. That would be something that could uh, be the deciding factor. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Packers versus versus Cardinals. This feels much better than Bills versus Chiefs. Much. I mean, better. it is it the one and two seeds, that. right? Yes, it is. <laughs> In this scenario, I'd probably go with the Packers just to stay consistent with the quarterback experience narrative, I guess. I don't know. I think they're both really good teams. Um, I, think, I guess I think we're going to disagree again here. Mm-hmm. One again, the, I think the Packers look like a different team away. And yeah, I think I kind of want to just be able to say and create this narrative for ourselves 
that Aaron Rodgers missing a game with COVID cost his team the one seed, which then cost them the pivotal home field advantage in the AFC championship and cost them the win. So one, I kind of just want that to happen. So that's influencing me. The second thing is I have been very much on record in not believing that this is a complete Packers team. I am starting to believe in more. I am starting to think I might've been wrong. The defense is not healthy and looked very impressive that the 25 points, the Rams score was not even like a real 25 points. It was much worse than that. The Rams offense was awful at one point in the game. Like I think deep into the, maybe it was the fourth quarter, even they had like seven total first downs. So Packers defense showed up that seems to indicate their complete team, but I still have so many questions about them. And I, I want to give the Cardinals their credit. They've showed up um, when they've needed to all season long. So I'm going to disagree with you here. And since I let you knock the Patriots out, I am going to veto your decision to pick the Packers. So we've got a Cardinals bills, <laughs> Cardinals bills. I just realized what's going to happen. You're going to want to pick the bills. <laughs> We're going to have the bills as a Super Bowl champions, but I don't know who do you got Cardinals or bills. This is, this is all so tough. It doesn't feel like any of these teams are so much better than the other when you're looking at most of these playoff matches. If we're being honest, that is largely how this season has felt as a whole. There hasn't Indeed. been a single team that we've been able to say, oh, now that is the best team in the NFL. And the one team that has the Cardinals kind of came out of nowhere. So we have the suspicion about them. So I'm, I'm right with there with you. I do think the best team in the NFL is the Patriots. But of course, we knocked them out. And we're dealing with their divisional rivals now, the Bills. Do we give the Bills credit for, I guess they didn't even play the Patriots. The Chiefs knocked them out. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) I would go with the Cardinals in this scenario, I guess. I mean, I'm not even sure what kind of methodology I'm using at this point. But, I mean, if we're going off of what we've seen this year, the Cardinals have been a better team. So... I guess that'll be the deciding factor for the Super Bowl, but I I don't feel that strongly about it either way. Let's just, let's just call it that. Then we'll say our Super Bowl matchup is the Cardinals Bills, and we won't pick a winner because, like you said, we I mean, <laughs> we're we're kind of just we're picking and choosing which stats we like. We have we, on one side we're saying the Patriots aren't going to make it because they don't have the experience. On the other side, we're picking Kyler Murray to lead his team with Cliff Kingsbury, who before this season was one of the favorites to get fired. So I don't know. This season's a mess, people. We did our best. I, I like I like to say normally I like to root for the things we predict in this podcast, but there's no way I'm rooting for the Super Bowl. Bills, are you kidding? Gross. No thanks. But we're calling it right now. The Cardinals are going to play the Bills in the Super Bowl. You heard it here first. It feels gross, but I challenge everyone listening to do this same exercise. And you tell me that your Super Bowl doesn't feel a little bit gross. And if you say that, I think you're a little overconfident. All these teams are gross for one reason or another. But that brings us finally to our eliminator game. Now, we've already eliminated a bunch of teams. Most of them aren't looking in, con- in contention at all, those being the Jags, the Jets, the Texans, the Lions, the Giants, and the Dolphins, and also the Bears. I will throw them in there, not looking like they're going to make the playoffs. We've got a couple mm-hmm. teams that I don't think will make the playoffs, but maybe have a better shot than those other teams, the football team and the Falcons being those two. Now, 538 has the uh, Falcons' chances of making it at only 8%. I don't know if I agree with that. That seems a little low. While they have the football team's chances at 34%, which seems way high, way too high. I think that right now the Falcons might be even ahead of the football team in the standings. They are. Um, I guess I should give the Dolphins some credit. The Dolphins seem like an average team now. That's kind of scary. They have mm-hmm. gone on a run. They've beaten the Ravens this year, and they've beaten the Patriots this year. 
the current one and two seed in the AFC. So maybe the Dolphins also scare us a little bit. But the real team that's scaring us right now is the 49ers. They have a 72% chance, according to 538, of making the playoffs. I almost want to just cut our losses and say that's they're going to make it. And so we, we need to just give up that spot. However, I kind of think we should go one more week without picking an NFC team. There is one really obvious NFC team for us here. It's the Panthers at 6% to make the playoffs, but I almost want to leave the Panthers in for one more week. Cause I feel like we need every single bullet. We, we have left in the NFC to take a shot at knocking down the 49ers, you know, one last grasp per, for perfection before maybe next week we call it quits and say the 49ers are going to make it. What are you thinking, Victor? Looking at the, the list of available teams, I do kind of feel like I would prefer to eliminate an NFC team than an AFC team, just because I don't think we have nearly enough information to eliminate any of the six win teams that are on the AFC side. Now, obviously, I don't think we have nearly enough information to be eliminating the Panthers either, considering how bad the, the NFC field is looking. But I think I would probably lean towards the Panthers uh, unless you feel strongly about an AFC team, I suppose. So uh, like my problem with the Panthers again is I'm still grasping on this idea that we could get it perfectly right for however unlikely it may look right now. And so what that means is who we have left right now in the NFC, we have the Vikings, the Falcons, the Saints, the Eagles, and the Panthers. Two of those teams have to make the playoffs over the 49ers. I'm, I'm making the assumption that the Cardinals, Packers, Bucks, Cowboys, and Rams, they're all in. So for if we eliminate one of those teams, we're basically looking at now, I don't know, it just feels like I, don't, I can't pick a team out of the Panthers, Eagles, Saints, Falcons, Vikings. I can't figure out which two are going to beat the 49ers because it's probably not going to happen. It, it's like the 49ers are probably going to end up on top of all those teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of that, I kind of just want to avoid picking the Panthers just because I don't have a great feeling that they are actually going to finish with the worst record of all those teams. But like you're saying, every team in the AFC that we have left has a winning record. We do. We have eliminated a team in the AFC with a winning record. That was the Raiders. And you said you don't want to choose between all these six win teams. Well, how about a five and a half win team? <laughs> Victor, how about the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are 5-5-1? Five, five, and one. They have arguably the worst veteran quarterback in the NFL. Okay, it's not, even, it's not even an argument. He's absolutely, if you take the rookie quarterbacks out right now, Big Ben is by far the worst. He's awful. Watch him play. He's horrible. He, mm. That team, it, it, I mean, they look awful. They're currently sitting in. They'd have to pass the Browns, the Colts, the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Chargers. That's a lot of teams to pass. Here, let me pull up their schedule right now. My my gut is telling me it's not going to be a great schedule for them because it's going to be a lot of divisional opponents. Yeah, it's not great. It's the Ravens, the Vikings, the Titans, the Chiefs, the Browns, the Ravens. I mean, you would, would you be surprised if they lost out? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. The Ravens, mm-hmm. the Vikings, the Titans, the Chiefs, the Browns, the Ravens. Those, those division games are going to be tough fought. That's just how that division plays. We talked about earlier, but 538 puts the Steelers chances at 10% while the Panthers at 6%. So the Panthers would be the smarter choice. But again, I kind of just want to keep that one extra bullet just in case for whatever reason, the Panthers put it together. Now the Panthers don't even have a veteran QB of their own. So <laughs> I don't know. I really, I really don't know. Is that okay. compelling to you at all? Or the Panthers yeah. are clearly, I think, the smartest choice if we're just ignoring who we've already picked. But from a game theory standpoint, if we're trying to maximize our results, 
take a little bit of a risk here for a greater reward, I think that makes the choice the Steelers. So the question is, do you want to make the correct choice in the Panthers or do you want to go for glory and pick the Steelers? I mean, there's no downside to losing. So I think we might as well try and get everything right. You know, I'm totally for it. Let's do it. Let's get rid of the Steelers. One of my best friends, huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. He's going to be devastated to hear that we've eliminated them, but surely he's already done it himself. He's one of the biggest pessimists I've ever met, Hmm. but that will do it for our NFL talk. You heard it here first bills, Cardinals, Super Bowl. The Steelers aren't making the playoffs. The Panthers are, they're going to make an incredible run without a QB (laughs) to topple the 49ers. It's all happening. Everything we say here comes true. Finally, we get to our favorite sport, baseball. Victor, so much has gone down in baseball that I kind of want to even refresh my Twitter timeline to see if something else has gone down since we started talking. That's how crazy it's been. It's felt felt like a major signing or trade or extension every 10 minutes. So what I have done is I've picked 13 teams. I did every team that's made a major move, and then a couple teams have made some more minor moves, but I included them just based off our own conversations we've had on this podcast so there are going to be a couple deals that we have missed one that comes to mind is i um am a big fan of harold ramirez he's an outfielder who was on the cleveland guardians he is no longer on the guardians he is now on the chicago cubs we're not going to talk about that that's what i'm talking we had to eliminate some of those minor deals but because we have 13 teams that allows us to grade each team on a perfect bell curve so what that means is we're going to have only one team with the grade of an a Three teams get the grade of a B, five get a C, three teams get a D, and only one team gets an F. We're going to each reveal who we've picked, starting with our lowest pick. Victor, do you want to go first with who you gave an F? Yeah, sure. I'll go first. Uh, My F, and I did feel fairly strongly about this. I gave it to the Angels. Um, This isn't necessarily to say the contract's um, that they gave out were absolutely horrible. Uh, seven million for uh, for Michael Lorenzen isn't egregious. Seventeen million over two years for Aaron Loop. It's a, a tad expensive for me, but it's not horrible. But the thing that has really uh, soured me on the Angels offseason is the fact that they've gone for uh, creative solutions to their rotation when what they really need are reliable solutions to their rotation. So Michael Lorenzen, who has never been um, an MLB starter for a full season, he hasn't been a consistently very good reliever, even throughout his uh, career. Uh, And they're giving him $7 million to try and be in their rotation for the season. I just think it's a little too gimmicky. It's a little too trying to be cute when the Angels – the state of their rotation really needs someone like a Kevin Gosman, someone like a Robbie Ray, someone like a Max Scherz or someone who, you know, you're going to get your innings, you know, um, I don't know how confident people generally feel about Ray or Gosman being elite, but you're going to, you know, you're getting a real starting pitcher. um, And they've gone to Noah Syndergaard, Michael Lorenzen route where we don't know what type of innings they're hand, they're going to be able to handle. So I think these moves have just not been the type of moves that are going to push the Angels toward uh, where they need to be in the Trout-Otani era. So I gave the Angels a D. I'm also very low on what they did. I'm lower on one team 
only one team. I, I ordered my D's because um, we, ha- we had to come up with three of them. And this is the D that is closest to an F. If I had to assign like a D minus, this would be the team I'd give a D minus to. So I'm right there with you. If this is your first time listening to us on a past podcast, Victor made a very compelling argument for why Noah Syndergaard isn't necessarily the right move for the Angels. And we came to the conclusion that the Angels still need another rotation piece, one that is much more consistent, much more reliable because the Angels have had so many problems with pitchers injuries. And now they're going to one, as you said, in Lorenzen, who isn't even a proven starting pitcher. He's a relief pitcher and he's one who struggled with injury. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. At least they identified the right need and seeing that they, they needed another starting pitcher. That's why I didn't really give them an F because they looked and they said, we do need another starting pitcher, but their solution I think it, it was wrong and you made a very compelling argument. So I'm not going to add much more there. I completely agree with you. I'm giving the angels a D minus they've made a couple moves, but I haven't been all too impressed now for my F it may come to shock you, Victor, but I'm giving the red Sox an F. I think this move, if you didn't know, this is one of the minor moves, but I included it because of course I'm a red Sox fan. They signed Michael Waka to a one-year, $7 million contract. You're probably thinking to yourself, oh, seven, one-year, $7 million, it's not too big of a commitment. What's there to lose? I, I, First off, I just don't even know why we're spending money on Michael Waka. I don't know what need it's addressing. If there is a need in the starting rotation, it is for a number three starter. And even the Red Sox aren't going to tell you that Michael Waka is a number three. He's at best a six, in my opinion on a raised team that had starting pitching injuries and a lack of clear veteran presence to put in their starting pitching rotation, they choose to go, go with a bunch of young unproven rookies instead of Michael Waka. So a smart organization like the Rays kind of abandoning Michael Waka in that regard, at least as a starting pitcher, which is what I've heard the Red Sox are going to use him for. I think that's a big, just huge question mark. But ultimately my biggest problem with this is I looked in a little bit to what has led to Michael Walker's decline, if you want to call it that. And it seems to correlate perfectly with a decline in ground ball rate and an increase in home run rate. So basically Michael Walker, he's found success in the past generating ground balls and limiting home runs. He is no longer doing either of those things, but maybe the Red Sox can fix him and turn him back into a pitcher that is consistently getting more ground balls. The only problem is the Red Sox have literally the worst ground ball defense in the league. So you're telling me if you're able to fix this guy that our defense won't even be able to make plays with him pitching, like this move sucks, Victor. This is an F. I don't know. What did you give this move? Uh, I had this in the D category mostly because... Yes, thank you, D. There we go. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't... I was kind of confused as to what the point was in terms of bringing Waka in. But, I mean, they're probably going to need innings um, with how volatile and young the back end of their rotation is. So, um, Waka did um, have an interesting September, cut down on the cutter usage, went to a different pitch mix. So, I could see Waka being um, a usable piece of the Red Sox pitching staff. I don't know what type of upside he would bring. Maybe he's becomes one of the, a useful reliever. I don't know. But um, the main reason I had the Angels below the Red Sox is because I think the Red Sox, the context of their team, they have less of a pressing need to get a legitimate um, bona fide starting pitcher where I think the Angels desperately needed to get a legitimate number three type. Um, the Red Sox are probably um, fine going with 
patchwork at the back of the rotation, at least to start the season, uh, given the options that they do have to, to start. I think either way you cut it, these are the two worst moves um, that have been made. I have two more moves that I'm not particularly a fan of, my two other Ds, but I they're more of like, I look at them, I'm like, meh, I don't know if I would have spent my money on that type thing instead of like a, what are you, what are you doing, Red Sox? What are you doing, Angels? Who is another one of your Ds, Victor? Another one of my Ds, and I didn't, like, the Red Sox and Angels definitely were the two worst moves in my estimation. My other two Ds, I don't feel that strongly. I probably could have put them in the C tier. If, Why don't you uh, go ahead and give us both of these Ds? Yeah, uh, it was the Mariners and the White Sox. Um, mostly um, just they the moves that they made. Uh, I do think Kendall Graveman is a good upgrade for the White Sox, and he would be a good replacement for Craig Kimbrell uh, when they eventually trade him. I just think the contract is a tad um, expensive, I guess, for a reliever with such a limited track record and health issues. But it's not a horrible move. It's just um, not a spectacular move. And then the Mariners trading for Adam Frazier. I don't hate it either. Adam Frazier is a useful major league player i just felt like the mariners probably should uh, be looking to get bigger upgrades uh, across the diamond whether it's in center field second base third base um i just think adam frazier um at least right now without knowing if they're going to be making any other big moves is kind of an underwhelming um addition i agree with you um i i also gave the white Sox a d i did give the mariners a c but I, I look at the Mariners move with Adam Frazier and I'm kind of just like, meh, I guess it makes the team better. And that's kind of my response. Like, I, I think it probably makes the team better. And in fact, it probably definitely does. But it's also, yeah. like you're saying, kind of underwhelming in at least of what we've been told the Mariners might do in the offseason. So I don't know if it's some of that's factoring in my decision to only give them a C or it's really that there's some genuinely really great moves on here and that this one's kind of just a meh for me. Um, I agree that it maybe if we record this podcast later in the week and the Mariners had made some other moves, they still have room to make those moves and increase mm-hmm. that grade from me from a C to much higher. So that's why I kind of ranked them in the middle here. I'm, I might drop it to a D if nothing else happens. So I don't blame you for giving them a D at all. Um, but I also might raise would uh, in theory quickly raise this grade if I were to see a couple other moves in addition to this. It seems mm-hmm. like a, a fine move on its own, though. I'm not sure. It, it requires, I think, a couple other moves to be able to say this was a good move for the Mariners. Now, for the White Sox, I gave them a D for their Kendall Graveman signing, three years for $24 million. This is pretty much just because I'm fundamentally opposed to paying relief pitchers, especially ones that with such an unproven record. I mean, even if you cut his season by when he was on the Mariners, when he kind of broke out of nowhere as like this elite relief pitcher all of a sudden to when he switched to the Astros, he's still good for the Astros, but he was not really that elite relief pitcher that we kind of saw breaking out on the Mariners. And that's just kind of how relief pitchers are. They fluctuate between elite to average to, to awful, to good again. And it's just like, there's, we're dealing with such small sample sizes when it comes to these pitchers. I just don't like paying them not only $24 million, but three years. That's a, seems like a large commitment for a relief pitcher. And for that same reason, I gave my other D to the Astros who lost Kendall Graveman and then replaced him with Hector Neris. Um, again, it's simply because I'm fundamentally opposed to paying relief pitchers. So they gave Neris in this case, two years for $17 million, which is a higher average annual value than Graveman got. 
for what I think is probably a worse pitcher. I like this a little more though, because it's a less of a commitment with only two years, but I'm also like, I don't think that I would have paid him more than I'm paying Graveman. So I don't know. I just really don't like paying relief pitchers. That's basically my entire argument. Uh, I had the Astros in the C tier. Um, I think, I think Naris is pretty good. I think um, in an organization like Houston, maybe they could get a little juice out of him. Um, yeah, I just felt like it was a math move, like the type of thing that you kind of gloss over uh, while looking through MLB transactions. Um, I had it above the White Sox just because you said um, it was less of a year's commitment than Kendall Graveman. So I kind of maybe prefer um, this type of move compared to giving uh, Graveman three years. So yeah, I had that, uh, the Hector Neris Astro signing in the season. And it did, I must say, it did feel a little gross to put the Astros after getting a pitcher in the D range. They just seem to get so much out of their pitchers that this probably will be a move that works out for them. They probably saw something in the profile they like for Neris, but just because of my fundamental opposition, paying relief pitchers again. Don't need to be uh, belaboring the point. That's why I gave him a D. Let's go ahead and move to our C's. Victor, give me what, let's say it, let's say it this way. At least this is my experience. There were C's that are like, okay, this is in the middle of the pack. I give this a C. And then there were some C's that I was like, I kind of want to give this a B, but sticking to the curve, I have to give him a C. So let's give me any C's that you were like, yeah, that's a C. I felt a little differently. Everyone in my seats here, I felt firmly was a, a meh type of, reaction from me i didn't feel like any of these teams necessarily deserve to be although i will say um i have the marlins in the c tier um i have them in a in the c tier not necessarily because um their offseason was uh their two moves were boring and not that impactful it was mostly because i felt one move was very very good and one move was quite uh the opposite Um, I thought the Sandy Alcantara extension was a brilliant move. And I thought giving uh, Avi Garcia with his track record of injuries and inconsistent performance and his age, uh, he's going into his thirties now, uh, a four-year commitment with real money, uh, $53 million, especially considering the other corner outfield options and the limitations of the Marlin spending abilities. I just didn't like um, that Avi Garcia contract and it kind of, smells to me like the Marlins are a little desperate to try and get some bats um, into their ballpark and weren't able to secure someone with a better track record like a Michael Conforto or get a big fish like a Nick Castellanos or even get a try and get a Kyle Schwarber. So I had the Marlins in the C tier. I think their two moves were drastically different. Um, So it evens out to give them an average grade. I think I saw that the Marlins were made a huge push for, I can't remember if it was, was it Starling Marte? I mean, that would make sense. I think it was Marte. I know they whiffed on whoever their first choice was for outfielder. And so I definitely agree. In fact, I actually gave the Marlins a B, but hearing you explain it that way, I'm kind of like, I want to make it a C, but I gave him a B because that Sandy Alcantara getting his extension five years, 56 million. That is, I mean, that's arguably, I think there's maybe only other one move on this entire list that I like more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I like, if it was just that move, I almost would have given them an A, although I'd have mm-hmm. a hard time giving a team that's made one move an A, but mm-hmm. I like that Avisil Garcia move is kind of questionable, especially four years for a man, um, who at, he's getting to a point where you wouldn't be shocked to see a steep decline. 
let's just mm-hmm. put it that way. So yeah, I, I wish I kind of gave that a C now, but that Alcantara move is brilliant. I do want to give Marlins credit for that. Indeed. So how about this? I'll give you my C's and you'll tell me where you put in my C's that I thought, yes, those are C's because I have a couple C's that I kind of wanted to give B's, but mm-hmm. these are the, these are the C's that we haven't mentioned that I thought were like, yeah, that's a C. So one is uh, for me, Byron Buxton, seven years for a hundred million. And I can't, what I wrote down is like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And if he stays healthy, it's a good deal. And even if he doesn't, he might make that money back. I think he probably was already already has provided that much value for them in the past. My only thing that makes this a C for me is the seven years. It just is, is a lot. And it's just like things I kind of opposed to when it comes, comes to contracts, you'll see a consistent thing here is that the longer it is, the more I'm like, "Ah, I don't know about that. I'd almost rather just pay a lot of money up front and get out of it quicker than get into a seven year deal or with anyone. So I get the the twins to see for Byron Buxton and don't get me wrong. Like that's not a move. I'm like crapping on at all. It's just, for me, it gives me more of a meh feeling than some of these other moves. Um, and the other one is I gave the giants a C for getting back Anthony day Sclafani. They got him for three years for 36 million and they got Alex wood back. I actually haven't seen the wood deal finalized, but people are acting like it's a done deal. The last I saw was for two years for greater than 10 million. I mean, that's very vague. So I, I don't even know if that deal is actually done, but the, the day Sclafani one for me is like shockingly high for me. I did not think he was going to get a deal that big. I think, I I've, I'm very curious who the second highest bidder was because I thought that someone was going to be able to get him for closer to like three thirty million instead of 36 million. So I don't know. I, the, I, I don't know. The giants chose not to, to keep Kevin Gossman. They chose to go with De Sclafani. I trust the giants in their pitching, but again, it's just a, a meth thing for me. So what did you grade the twins, Byron Buxton and the giants, Anthony De Sclafani plus Alex Wood? Uh, I gave the twins a B. I'm a big fan of the not I shouldn't say like big, but I I do think the Buxton extension was a good move that stood out to me on the list. Um, obviously, the extension takes up one RB year. So technically, it's more like a six year extension than a true seven year extension. Um, and also, I think when you look at the incentive structure, the AAV, if uh, Buxton doesn't prove to be a healthy and consistently great player is something like you would pay um, like a number four starting pitcher, something like 14 million, I think the AAV. But if Buxton does approach the promise that he's shown um, in glimpses over the past couple of seasons, I think the contract would be a pretty big steal given how much we see superstar players in their primes get paid in free agency. And I think in the context of the twins, they don't have the opportunity to to acquire MVP level talents um, without paying MVP level salaries very often. So I think retaining Buxton um, is a really good move that will a- enable them to not have to go into a full rebuild. Obviously, I think they likely would have been better off keeping Jose Barrios and giving him the extension that he received. I don't know if you agree with that, but I think the Twins, um, they're not so far from creating a contending team where they had to make a Buxton trade. And I think extending him rather than trading him um, pretends to some maybe some more aggressive moves in the next in the coming years. I thought it was a good move. I gave the Giants a C. I felt similarly. I'm 
not too, too excited about Di Sclafani or Alex Wood, uh, depending on what his AAV is. If it's 10 million, then I guess that's pretty good, but we don't know what he's getting paid. And part, I do think um, the fact that the Giants entered the offseason with four rotation vacancies and they've uh, essentially decided to run it back without Gosman is kind of underwhelming. Obviously, they still have time to get more starting pitchers. There was the rumor that they were pushing hard for Alex Cobb. Um, so that would be a, a pretty good signing if they were to be able to complete that. But I did agree the the Giants moves weren't um, they didn't they didn't stick out to me that much. I, I completely agree with your assessment of the Giants. I think you make a strong case for why you would give the Twins a B instead of a C. So my other two C's, and I gave, if I were to give teams C pluses, that's probably what I would give these two teams. So one for me, so these are the ones, like when I just like went with my gut grade, I initially given them both B's, but have since knocked them down to C's just because of the, the grading curve, brutalism curves. That's what they do to you. But <laughs> Blue Jays are one. I gave them a C plus. They got Kevin Gossman on a, pro- a pretty big mega contract for someone like Gossman, which I could see a lot of people having a problem with just the sheer amount, which is five years for $110 million. They also landed Yemi Garcia. Now they got him for two years for $11 million. And I just want to compare this real quick to Hector Neris, who was two years, $17 million, and Kendall Graveman, three for $24 million. I think if you're going to get a relief pitcher and pay him, Yimmy Garcia, two for 11, that looks so much better in comparison to those other moves to me. So I think that's a big plus for the Blue Jays. That looks, I think they got a steal there based on the market value of those other guys. Um, and then I think Gosman, I think Gosman's legit. I think he has arguably the best pitch in baseball and his splitter. Now, people say splitters can be very inconsistent. He seems to have made it work consistently for the last two years. So I'm a big believer in Kevin Gossman. I can totally see the argument for why someone wouldn't be, though. But that's I gave them a C plus. Now, the Rangers was the other team I gave a C plus. I liked what the Rangers did basically because they're going for it. And that's kind of the best thing I can say about their about their moves from my standpoint. They're really going for it. I love seeing that from a team that's at the bottom of of their division. They're like, we're, we have room. We've made a commitment. We're going to start spending and they've made their team better because they they're spending first. Actually, I really like the move of acquiring. They got Billy McKinney and Zach Rex from the Dodgers. I think those are good depth pieces. I think Billy McKinney, especially is a great depth piece. They got Cole Calhoun one year for 5.2 million. I, I don't know where Calhoun is at in his career, but he was basically a depth piece for the Diamondbacks this year on a team he really should have been a, 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 a certified starter all season. So that one I'm a little hesitant on. That's that's why that moves on my favorite. John Gray they got four years for fifty six million dollars. A lot of people are saying Gray has some obvious changes he can make that really could make him take another step into pitcher stardom. He's been kind of suppressed by cores and has built his pitches a lot to work in cores. In fact, this is one of those guys that has that weird reverse split where he seems to be better in cores and away from cores. And that's why I'm still a little bit hesitant about John Gray. So you can see the, the theme here. I'm liking the aggressiveness of what they're doing, but I have questions about each of these players they've gotten. And the final one is Marcus Simeon, which was seven years for $175 million dollars. This could look awesome in retrospect, but I need to see the deals that the other shortstops come in at. I think Corey Seager and 
Carlos Correa are obviously two options that would be preferred to Simeon. Personally, I would prefer, you know, because I want him on the Red Sox, I'd prefer Trevor Story to Simeon. So this for me, it's like I could not imagine myself forking out so much money for Simeon without any market set from those top guys. It seems like a lot of money. Maybe they had to, to, to lock him in. He's their guy. I don't know. So questions about all those moves, but I like the aggressiveness. That's a C for me in the Rangers. So what'd you give the blue Jays and the Rangers? Yeah, I gave the uh, blue Jays a C. I kind of felt the opposite about the Yimmy Garcia contract, um, watching him throw up all over himself in the postseason and then have a pretty bad second half with, the Astros I don't really I wouldn't I wasn't expecting him to get a multi-year contract so I'm not I wasn't really a fan of that I do think the Kevin Gosman deal is pretty good uh the contract looks very similar to what Zach Wheeler signed a couple of seasons ago and I think their free agent profiles were pretty comparable um Gosman had better health but Wheeler had shown more um uh, Wheeler had been less bad i guess would be the word had he he, wheeler had never had to be non-tendered before his free agency so i think they're pretty similar in terms of what their value was heading into free agency so them getting similar contracts made sense um i just think between the two signings they blue jays did end up paying about market rate for both of them so um i think it was pretty good to to bring them in just not something that i thought was outstanding I did end up giving the Rangers a B. I debated putting them in the C tier, but I think um, the fact that they're showing that they're willing to spend and go for it, even though their prospects haven't arrived to the majors yet, kind of pushed me towards giving them credit for a B because I think it shows that they're at least heading in the right direction, even if these moves weren't the types of moves that I necessarily would have made. Obviously, Cole Calhoun dealt with injuries last year. I don't know how effective were um, expecting him to be they could have gotten a better corner outfielder obviously um Marcus Semien at his age I was surprised to see the seven years but I think um bringing in some credibility um bringing in a great player I mean he has the most war I believe since the beginning of 2019 among every MLB player I might be wrong on that but um he's he's up there so I think yeah he would definitely be way up there he's he's been phenomenal yeah so I think that's a good maybe not a great signing but it's a good signing um and then John Gray I don't think there's much risk given how low the AAV is obviously he's had a history of foot injuries I don't know how much we can project that to continue into the future I think John Gray is a solid number three number four who maybe you they do get a little more out of him since he's not going to be pitching in cores so I was I put the the Rangers in my B tier along with twins just because I felt like this was similar to the twins I felt like this was a move that's pushing them in the right direction even if the terms of the contracts aren't the um perfectly what I would have uh done myself Honestly, it sounds like we are in complete agreement with our assessment of the Rangers. It's just we have slightly different preferences on the other moves, which affected where we put the Rangers. But I'm in everything you said, I completely agree with. Now, do you have a few other C's left? I can't remember. Yes. um, We mentioned the Blue Jays, Astros, Giants, and Marlins. I have the Cardinals also as a C. Um, I felt the Steven Matz signing was solid. I think it helps to fortify their rotation. Um, he's going to be a solidly uh, around league average starting pitcher, um, but it didn't it didn't necessarily stand out to me. I thought four years was interesting, but it's a really low AAV. So I think that kind of cancels out. 
Yeah, I gave this move a B. I actually, I'm not going to lie, had some temptations of giving an A before I really sat there and thought of it. And we can only assign one A, so I really like this move. Uh, what it comes down to, though, is um, I gave preference to teams that made multiple moves. This is the only move the Cardinals made. But the reason I like it so much is it's one of those times when I look at a player and I look at a team and they just seem like the perfect fit for each other. Steven Matz is a ground ball pitcher through and through. And while the Red Sox, I had mentioned, have the worst grand, ground ball defense in the league, on the flip side of that, the Cardinals have one of the best ground ball defenses in the entire league. And so... That alone makes me really like that move. I think it's a perfect fit. I think it's a B. I, like you said, low AAV, it's four years, 44 million. I think this is a great move for the Cardinals. They are my lowest B, actually. I ended up moving them to my lowest B, but I did give them a B. Do you have a B that you haven't mentioned? Yes, my last B is actually the Mets. Um, obviously, right before we started recording, they signed Max Scherzer brought in Starling Marte, Mark Canna, Eduardo Escobar. I just think given that we know Cohen is blowing past the um, the luxury tax, or at least what we believe the luxury tax will be, we don't know what the CB, new CBA is going to say. I think these moves are the types of moves that create um, depth and reliability that the Mets desperately needed after such a roller coaster 2021 season where um, they had a lot of plate appearances taken by extremely bad players and they had a lot of innings that had to be filled by extremely bad pitchers. I think bringing in three solidly above average offensive players helps to knock down players like Jeff McNeil and Dom Smith and JD Davis into depth roles where if they do rebound from poor 2021 seasons, and you have a surplus of good players. If they don't, then you have your bench um, filled out, basically. And then having Max Scherzer in the rotation, it adds an elite starter, um, at least for 2022. I don't know how he's going to go into um, this contract. going to take him into his 40s, right? Uh, it's four years. I thought it was three years, but it could be four oh, it years. Might this, be three years. The Scherzer deal for the people listening happened literally less than 10 minutes before <laughs> we started recording. So we kind of just like threw it in there. We didn't even know we had a discussion. Are we going to talk about it or not? We decided to go with it. Now, Victor, I'm actually in the same spot as you here. I gave the Mets a B, but I kind of want to do this. Are you tempted at all to give them an A? We have the same team based on at least if, if I'm crossing out the teams correctly, I'm pretty sure we have the same team um that we gave an a do you have any temptation at all i'm not even asking are, do you, are you willing to move them there is there a temptation for you with the scherzer de deal to push the mets from a b to an a i already had the mets at a b before they got scherzer now with scherzer with a clear indication that they're completely going for it it's all in i love that from any team i love when an owner is willing to go over the luxury tax i love when you don't you know trade mookie bets away for peanuts but do you have any temptation of moving the the mets to an A. Well, I originally had the Mets as the second team in my B tier behind the Twins, actually. But um, now with Scherzer, I'm definitely going to move them above the Twins in the B tier. But I think I'll still hold off on making them an A just because this spending is all exclusively extremely old players. There's a, there's risk that these moves don't work out and they do hamstring. Um, the franchise in the near term. So I, I do love these moves. I think the Mets are doing things that they should be doing. I think um, they're having a great off season, 
but I'm not quite ready to make them the, the A team above uh, the team. I believe that uh, we, we both put in the A tier. Yeah. So before we reveal that team, and I am excited to talk about them with you, but I, I think I'm with you here. Let's keep the Mets at B because I think an underrated point here is it's still the Mets. And until <laughs> they kind of get rid of that, like, I don't even know how to describe like the heebie-jeebies, whatever they've got going with them that seem to make every move they make just a horrible move until they like get rid of it. I'm always going to have that in the back of my head. It's the Mets, Josh, you can't give them an A it's the Mets. But with that being said, I like all four players. They got, it's Eduardo Escobar, Mark Canis, Darling Marte, Scherzer. I'm a big fan of all four. Like you said, though, they are old. That, that gives me some concerns and they did sign them all for multi-year contracts. Escobar and Canner are only two years though. And if you're going to give someone a multi-year contract, I kind of would try and push for two years in that sense. Cause it's the shortest. But the only deal really also that I look at the money and I'm like, that's a lot of money is Scherzer, but Scherzer's the type of player that you almost are like, whatever he wants and whatever gets us Scherzer, do it because he's elite. He is. That's what he is right now. I don't know. Like you said, by the end of the deal, if he will be, this could be a team with like a one year window now, the way they structured it with these old players. But I like all four of these players and I like all four of the deals. Good job, Mets. I can't believe I'm saying that. Good job, Mets. But it's funny because before this craziness happened with the Mets, I was ready to get on this podcast and make fun of the Mets in that whole Twitter debacle with their owner being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Steven Matz said, oh, I wanted to play with you. And then he didn't. Oh man, that, that whole thing. I was like, I was going to come on here. I had a whole little skit I was going to do. I was going to roast him. But I, I, now I'm looking at him like, good, good job, Mets. They lost Steven Matz that lit a fire under their butt. And now mm. look what they've done. All yeah, right, signing you... Steven Matz might be their best move of the, the offseason. Yeah, I, I completely agree. At least the, the way that the narrative is played out, it seems like maybe I, I, this is what I'm envisioning now behind the scene. The scene. Steven Matz goes to the owner of the Mets, who's I can't I'm so bad with names. What is Steve his name? Cohen? Thank you, Steve Cohen. I should know he's on my Twitter feed all the time. and I don't even <laughs> follow him. I, I, I need to like mute him or something because he's showing up there all the time. Just great and drama on my Twitter feed. But this is why I'm envisioning behind the scenes. Steven Matz goes to Cohen or his agent probably on behalf of Matz is like, you know, ultimately it came down to the fact that we think the Cardinals are a better team than the Mets. And then Michael Jordan verbal meme. And I took that personally, says Steve Cohen. And look at this. Now they've got Escobar, Canna, Marte, and Max Scherzer. They look like the better team now for sure. I'm, I'm excited to see if the Mets can finally, I don't, do you want, I, like, I don't want to call it a curse, but like break the Mets heebie-jeebies. All right. You ready to reveal the team that we gave an A? I'll let you do the honors, Victor. Yes. So we both gave the Rays an A for their uh, offseason moves so far. I think it's pretty easy to um, at least put them uh, close or at this tier, given just how impactful the Wander Franco signing is, both on the field and I think off the field signaling. Um, you know, they they did want to keep their franchise cornerstone, uh, this, similar to how they were able to keep Evan Longoria in Tampa for a long time. And what they're paying him isn't even – um, some sort of ridiculous amount. This isn't um, this isn't close to the Fernando Tatis deal where he got over three hundred million. Uh, the Rays are only committing uh, around, uh, I believe it was two hundred million over the next twelve years. Uh, the twelfth year being an option. Um, so I think uh, the fact that this 
tr uh, tr deal was both reasonable and um, locks up Wander in Tampa. I don't know about Tampa because the Rays might be moving, but locks him into this franchise for the next 12 years. Uh, I think it was an elite move. And then on top of that, they were able to bring in Corey Kluber on a one-year $8 million deal. Um, I'm not too enthused about the prospect of Kluber pitching a full season, but he did look like a fairly solid pitcher for the Yankees. And we're going to need some, some innings fillers throughout the season. And then during the podcast, they signed left the reliever Brooks Raley to a two-year contract with a third-year club option. Not too big of a deal, but um, it's interesting that the Rays are giving up a multi-year contracts to a reliever when they've been able to churn out relievers through the waiver wire as successfully as they can. Um, Rayleigh has consistently put up fairly bad ERAs, but his swinging strike rates, um, his peripherals, his XFIP, his Sierra, they've been fairly good um, the past few years pitching for the Astros and Reds. So I think all in all, these moves, uh, particularly the Wander Franco move, warrant an A grade. Real quick, what did they announce the money for the Rayleigh deal, the two years? I believe it was $10 million guaranteed. That might include the buyout. I mean, okay, again, here we go with if you're going to get a reliever, ten, two years, $10 million. Like, honestly, I don't care what reliever. That's uh, You can see I have a very nonchalant approach with relievers, especially if you're going to put them on the raise. I think they're going to work out. That's awesome. And there's 11 years for $182 million extension for Wander Franco. Slam dunk, best move we said. I think like it's in a tier of its own, meaning like top tier move and then big gap. And then we've got some of those other moves that I've liked a lot. That's how good of a move this was for the Rays. I love to see the Rays spending money. I will say, I think we picked a different team here. You said the Tampa Bay Rays. I picked the Montreal Rays as my, as my top pick because 11 years, he's going to be playing in Montreal. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the Rays moving is looking fairly likely. <laughs> you're a Rays fan, but you're not a Rays fan that lives in Tampa Bay. So for you, is that something you're encouraging? You look forward to or you just wherever they go, you don't really care. Uh, I've thought about this and I think it would probably depend on where they move to. If I were to change, oh, I'm, it sounds so weird. I don't, I can't imagine not being a fan of the Rays, but if the Rays were to move somewhere and it just feels too awkward to root for them, maybe, maybe I do consider <laughs> rooting for another team, but uh, that's still at least a few years down the road. The one player I have not mentioned is Corey Kluber, who this is basically how I look at Kluber because I wouldn't necessarily say, Oh, Corey Kluber, one year, 8 million excites me per se. But I look at the, his contract last year when the Yankees gave him one year, $11 million. And then I look at Corey Kluber's performance, which included, you know, the peak of a no hitter. Um, I just don't know how you look at that and then say he is worth less than what we paid him last year. And so kind of you're left with the inclusion. I, I always got to take a shot at the Yankees if I can. The Yankees paid him too much money because for me, Kluver outperformed any like reasonable expectations for how he would do coming off all of his injury problems and the fact he hadn't pitched him forever. And he was pretty decent pitcher last year by all means. And so to look at that and say, oh, his value has gone down $3 million. I think from that standpoint alone, I like that move for the Rays. I also think putting Corey Kluber in that clubhouse with all the young pitchers the Rays have. I mean, we go from Tyler Glass now, who's a young guy himself, who's just recently kind of figured it out to leading all these young guys. So now a veteran present, a past Cy Young winner in Corey Kluber. I think 
the Rays hit it out of the park with all three moves here. I gave him an A just for the two moves. And then the one that happened in the podcast here, getting a cheap relief pitcher. That's how it's done. I mean, crap. That's all I've got to say. Cause <laughs> the Red Sox, I gave him an F. I gave the Rays an A. It's a disaster. This is a disaster off season so far. I, two weeks ago on the podcast, I was like, the, this off season is going perfectly. It's checking off all the boxes. And now I definitely have some fear of missing out here. Some FOMO. Where's the Devers extension, Red Sox? Where's Devers for <laughs> eight, eight years, $90? Like, that's what I want now. That's, that's about the equivalent, I think, to 11 years, $182 million for the best prospect in baseball and Wander Franco. And we talk about him as a generational talent. And when we say that, what we really mean is the best play, like the best player in a two year span, because a generational talent seems to come out at least every two years. But other than Juan Soto, I'm not sure there's a younger player in baseball that I would want to give a massive contract to in 11 years for 182 million. It's a steal for Wander Franco. Mm-hmm. So well done, Rays. Well done. You win the off season. You couldn't win the last regular season, but you won the off season uh, at least so mm-hmm. far. Good job. Mm-hmm. Salty. I am absolutely salty. I, I, I mean, dude, I get like, you know how much I just love every opportunity I can to praise the Red Sox, to praise the Patriots. And I had to sit here and give the Red Sox an F while the Rays <laughs> are getting an A. Oh, it's, this is awful. This is, this has really just been a disaster, but that's our show. It was a long one today. Uh, oh, was a fun one, one last thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, the Panthers tweeted that Christian McCaffrey is out for the season. So I think we will be eliminating the Panthers next week, but uh, go on. Oh, man. No, (laughs) it's so bad. So what, the 49ers go from like 75% now to like 81%. I kind of want to like retroactively change it, but we're we're not going to do it. (laughs) It's too late. Christian McCaffrey is from uh, Colorado, only about uh, 45 minutes north of where I grew up. I played his brother in basketball growing up, so – not a family I know, but a family I've seen around. And so I kind of like to root for him as a, one of the only athletes to successfully leave uh, Colorado and make a name for himself in the sports world. The other one being Daniel Carlson went to high school with me. I actually know him a little bit. He might oh. know my name. He should <laughs> know my name. That's <laughs> how I'll put it. Um, but 21 points in fantasy this last week for Daniel Carlson, the kicker for the Oakland Superstar. Raiders. So. Colorado starting to make a name for ourselves. I don't know. <laughs> not really. Not really. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our show. Um, it was a long one, as I was saying. I think hopefully a fun one for everyone. It was very cool to see all this go down in the MLB. I'm sure there's going to be a flurry of more moves before the uh, the deadline's Thursday now. Yes. But as always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at UT Streamer. Victor, what's your at? at awesome victor aa at awesome victor aa so you can find us both there follow us there if you if you only like baseball you might end up unfollowing me because i primarily <laughs> tweet about football and the patriots right now but i'm mixing some baseball thoughts there really i have, i like to just talk about my teams on twitter and the red Sox haven't done anything of note in fact i just ignored the other movie you know because it was awful okay okay but I, I literally can't stop thinking about it. this idea that the Red Sox got an F and the Rays got an A is going to haunt me all day, Victor. Gosh, the show is over. You can stop now. <laughs> the show is over. That's right. All right. But on your way out, be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. And of course, leave a review only if it's good. Go, go Red Sox. Last, last week I said go Pats to end it. This week, go Red Sox.